0: Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks so much for joining us here for episode 136 with Ted Frank. Ted has a world of experience when it comes to movies and advertising and stories, he ties it all together to help you become a better presenter. So you're gonna learn one, the fundamental key to captivating people, two, best practices to help your audience remember the crucial points, and three, keys to keeping it simple and real in your presentation. So if you'd like to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items that we reference here. You can find that over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep136. And while you're at awesomeatyourjob.com, I'd encourage you to check out some of our cool resources. If you wish you could be taking notes, but you're running, you're commuting, you just can't, the Gold Nugget email list is an answer for you. We'll take notes for you and send them to your email box. Add your own little notes and there you go. You're all done. Or the 10 Days to Winning at Work email course, which offers tools for a slashing an average of 84 ish minutes of waste out of each work week. But first, here's Ted's story. Ted Frank is the principal and story strategist for Backstories Studio, which has clients such as Netflix, ESPN, and Twitter. He's also the author of Get to the Heart, a book on how to apply movie style storytelling to presentations. Here's Ted. Ted, thanks so much for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. You know, it's so great to be here, Pete. I've listened to your podcast a bunch of times, and you are so much fun. Oh, shucks. (laughs) Well, flattery will get you everywhere, Ted. Thank you. (laughs) Well, so could you maybe open us up by sharing some of your backstory with your career and how you ended up starting up Backstory Studios? I had a really wacky, wacky trajectory to Backstories. I started in advertising which is a
1: fabulous, fun place to start. And one of the things that advertising teaches you how to be is simple. All right. Because you can't survive a week in advertising without being simple. You have to cull everything down to 30 seconds. It's all about being simple. So that was the first stop. And then one day I get this freelance assignment at a consumer insights and strategy firm. And back when I was at the ad agency, that was something that we never paid attention to. You know, it's kind of like on Mad Men when the research people walk in and they bring, you know, Don Draper, this big fat deck report, and then he throws in the garbage. (laughs) That was pretty much us. You know, we thought, you know, we know what we're doing. We we're here to really make things entertaining and fun and get, and, you know, my whole objective was to get girls. Okay. Did it work? (laughs) And it did a good job of it. Yeah. Because advertising, especially back then, was a really sexy career. So anyway, though, I take this job at this consumer insights and strategy firm and I walk in the door and the first thing I see is this wall of photos and I walk up to it and I pick up this picture from the wall and then this researcher comes up and he starts telling me this story about the picture and it's about this woman and she's part of a weight loss project and she had had a really hard time losing weight after she had had her two girls, but now she was like getting close to 50 and they were teenagers And she really wanted to be a good example for them. And she thought that her time might be running out, and it really, really freaked her out. Mm. And when he told me that story, that was the first time that I ever felt for a consumer or a target market or anybody. You mean emotionally, like, whoa, that would be hard. Yeah, and I had done tons of ads for this chain of gyms, and I never thought about them. But the difference was, was instead of getting a big fat deck full of stats and stuff that never really spoke to me and that was just too intimidating and that I was too lazy to look through, Mm -hmm. he gave me a story. And that just changed everything for me because I realized that was the connection that I was missing. And then when I worked at this, I eventually worked there for six years and became their creative director. I saw so many really brilliant people do great work and work so hard at it and then go present it to clients that had paid them a half a million dollars for it. And I would still see so much of this great, great work end up going nowhere. Mm. And it just broke my heart to see this stuff. So I realized that the bridge still needed to be built and I needed to do it in a really compelling way and when I got back to starting backstories, it came right at this moment that in film that was really revolutionary, where all of a sudden you didn't need a $15,000 camera that didn't look that great anyway. You could shoot film, you could shoot video on a DSLR for, that would cost you about $800, and it would look fabulous. And I thought, you know what, this is the missing piece I've always needed was I've needed video to really show that emotion, to show that story and really bring it to life. And then I started backstories to kind of just do videos for strategy and for all kinds of internal projects for large corporations.
0: Oh, that's so good. And so in your book here, Get to the Heart, you make a point that the video, the story, the movie magic is mightily effective and compelling and we kind of conscientiously sort of choose with our own free time and money to engage in these movies. So what is it about that storytelling that's super effective and compelling compared to what we normally do?
1: Well, yeah, that's the other part of it was that I wanted to give somebody or give these people something every day. So that's why I started looking at the way movies tell stories and said, So that besides just giving people videos, we could give them these tools. And what movies do really, really well is they keep things very simple. They make them very real for us. So even if it's a story that's in the way of the future and a planet, you know, millions of miles away, we can still feel like we're there Mm -hmm. and we can relate to everything. And they make it very powerful and emotional. And all those things are very, very coveted. For executives who are watching presentations, that is exactly what they want. They want it to be quick, they want it to be visual, and they want it to be powerful. So what I did was looked at all the different ways that movies tell stories and really broke it down and then looked at what corporations really need in presentations and then kind of you know, applied one to the other and repurposed movie-style storytelling and their techniques into that corporate environment.
0: Okay, well, I want to sort of dig into all of these techniques or that we can fit with the time we have available. But you say that there is one ingredient in particular that can make everything engaging. What is this ingredient?
1: Ooh, and this is something that's beyond movies. It's beyond presentations. It's beyond even communication. I think this key ingredient is in everything that we find captivating. You know, it's in yoga, it's in sports, it's in spicy food, it's in sex. Okay, it is (laughs) tension. Oh, it's so meta. Thank you, Ted. (laughs) But it's like it's that stretch and release. You know, it's like in sports, it's the ball going up and then coming down for the catch. You know, and that is what makes everything captivating. So if you can put tension into your presentation, then you can get people to really engage. You can get them to lean forward in their seats and you can set them up for something that movies do amazingly well, which is the movies create moments. And so if you stretch the tension up and then you release it, right at that moment that you release it, it's like a mic drop. And Mm -hmm. you can really get them to really remember what you said. And there are a couple key ways that are really easy that people can use tension to create that effect. And I'll give you a couple of them. Oh, let's do it, please. Okay, like my favorite is movies create tension with framing. And that's, you know, the way that the camera puts people in the picture. And one of the techniques they use is called the dolly push shot. And you see the dolly push shot in every hero movie, every love scene. And what it is, is when they want you to emotionally bond with the characters, They raise the tension up by moving the camera toward the actors. So they become bigger and bigger in the frame. And yeah, you see it in every hero shot. You know, they just get bigger and bigger and bigger because they move the camera on the dolly. You can do that with your feet. Yeah. If you have a big point that you want to make, you move slowly toward your stakeholders. You just walk slowly toward them and you increase that tension. And right at the point that you are about to make your key point, you stop, make your key point, and then you back up and you release that tension and let them absorb it. And it sounds like not much on the phone when we're talking here, but you do it for real and you will feel the power of it. It's like a superpower.
0: You know, give it a try. Okay. So to recap, in order to execute this, you know, there's a big moment. And then as we're sort of waiting for it, you're walking closer toward the audience. And then once you sort of release it very closely, you sort of back up to where you were before.
1: Yeah. Basically as you back up, that will release the tension. So that lets them absorb it and gives them room. There are a number of ways you can manage tension and create and release tension. In a presentation, that's just one of them. But it's a lot of
0: them are that easy. Well, that's fascinating. And so, I guess I'm thinking about when you do that. What should that correspond with in terms of the content or the piece of the story or presentation that you're sharing?
1: Well, there's usually like three points that you want to make in every presentation that they have to remember. All right. So, picking, you know, these key moments in your presentation when you want to make that sucker stick, that's when you do it.
0: Okay. And so those are sort of like moments as opposed to the outline of there are three key components to our go to market strategy. It's more so like the moment within it, like the, oh, there's the secret ninja tactic, or there's the key kind of shift in our thinking.
1: Yeah. I mean, exactly. And, you know, the three points that you choose that they'll remember often what those can be is one might be about urgency and really help them understand this is why you're here in this room, this is why it's important to you, and this is why you have to listen. Mm -hmm. And that usually is in the beginning of the presentation that might not have much to do with the message you're delivering, but really setting the stage for why you're there. And it's really, really important because that's going to make them pay attention to you. Okay. You have to create that void. So, So really creating something that heightens that urgency there creating a moment around that is really
0: important. And you know, another thing I guess that comes to mind for me in terms of my experience of tension is that there's like a mystery. It's like, what's going on with that? And then it gets sort of deepened. Like, well, that doesn't explain it. That just makes it all the more crazy or confounding or surprising.
1: Yeah, you know, you really bring up good points, you know, and you don't know what's going on. You don't know exactly, you know, what the punchline is. That actually is one thing that stories do really well, That business does not. And when we're presenting our slides, we're taught, you know, make your big point in the headline and then substantiate with a bullet, substantiate with another bullet and substantiate it with another bullet. So it's like, you already give them the big thing and then you're just creating this downward slide and engagement by giving them all these different pieces of information that support it, but because they've already gotten their really big point already, They don't really need to listen to you.
0: Oh, see, that's so fascinating because I've been taught and have taught sort of answer first communication, just like that. My slide headline says the key takeaway. And in some ways, I guess that's efficient. It's like, okay, that you're clued in, you're focused, you're engaged on the thing that I'm trying to convey. So there's less ambiguity and it's sort of clear and efficient. But from like our human wiring, you're saying that is less so likely to captivate attention.
1: Yeah, I think actually the reasons why executives you know taught that method is I think they expect to be bored. So uh-huh. they just, they want permission to go to sleep. And you know that's why they say, give me the executive summary right away. And it's because they just want to go to sleep, I think, or they want to, they need to zone out. You know, they can only pay attention to so much. I'm bad-mouthing executives. They are really smart people and I really feel for them because they have to sit in like six or seven meetings a day and probably see a thousand charts a day. And there's no way in hell anybody can pay attention that long. But yeah, like, you know, you take that model of big headline that substantiate, 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 and you do it in the movie way. The movies actually reverse it. And what movies do is they'll give you those things that might be substantiation and they'll give them to you first as kind of clues that draw you toward the big point and make, you know, build your anticipation so that you are on the edge of your seat, even if you already know what's going to happen it still makes you really anticipate. And I'll give you a great example. And this is one I actually do in the workshops that we do, is I contrast the way that business does it with something that they learn from newspapers, which is, you know, newspapers have the big headline and then the story. So we have this headline of sharks kill two off Australia coast. Mm -hmm. And then they give you the article. But you don't even need to read the article because you know exactly what happened. You contrast that with like Jaws. Mm -hmm. First thing you're going to see is the swimmer. Got no care in the world, la di da di da di da. Then you hear the music, and you know something's awry. Then you see the fin, which is like you know. So it's basically building you those clues, and then you see the swimmer again, and a couple more shots, and it's all leading you toward what you know is going to happen. And then, just when they have you where they want you, that's when they give you the bite. Yes, it would never start with the bite. I hear you. It draws you toward that key point. And then you can actually do that in your presentation just by, you know, the way you order things and by the way that you kind of modulate your voice and build up, you know, dramatically toward it.
0: Okay. I want to go there next, actually, when it comes to, you talked about some movies and scenes and shots and how that shows up. To what extent can that find its way into a PowerPoint deck or is it sort of, you're saying PowerPoint decks are an inferior means of conveying your message?
1: Well, they're the bread and butter of business, so I definitely don't discount them in any way. And they can be used really, really well, and you can create a lot of you know great communication and very powerful communication and even movie-style communication just within PowerPoint. But videos can take it to a whole other level, which is why when I get to the high-stakes presentation, second part of the book, I include a lot of video samples because that is where you're really going to be able to show action, that especially if you're talking about, you know, the way consumers use products, it really shows you what's going on, and it's also how you really communicate emotion and really get somebody into that feeling space of what you know, the market's doing or what you know, their employees are really up against. You know, all those emotions can really be heightened by video, and it's really easy to integrate into PowerPoint. Okay, great. It's almost as easy as inserting a picture.
0: I hear you. So it's just the raw mechanics of insert video into a slide, you know, can certainly be done. And so if you have video handy, I'm hearing you say, you know, go for it, use it. You may often not have the opportunity to sort of get a film crew or production budget going to make the video that you want. So if you are kind of confined to sort of slides and images, what are some of your pro tips for using those optimally?
1: Well, definitely keeping everything really simple will really help you a lot. I'd say try to make just one point on every slide. Mm -hmm. And usually there is only like one point that you want to make. And parse things out in a way that's really easy for people to get. You know, I say like, before you worry about being creative, just be simple. Your audience will thank you a billion times For being simple, and you'll already be so far ahead of everybody else because no one else is.
0: So, when you say simple, that'd be like rather than just use, hey, this is our standard report associated with how our call centers, you know, average handle time has been progressing over the month, and with like all kinds of complex line chart things going on, you might just have the one point. It's like this month, our handle time has been terrible. And then you just sort of show, Hey, average today, what the heck is what you're saying there?
1: Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, what is it that's important to your audience? You know, what do they need to do with your information and what in your information will help them do that right?
0: All right. And yeah. well, That's good. <laughs> so simple. Yes. What do know, they but- need to do and what do I need to share with them for them to do that well? Yeah. Okay. Cool. (laughs) And so often a lot of
1: the work that I do with people is kind of just liberating to the fact that, you know, you don't have to state the facts, state the meaning of the facts. Yes. Just like when you're talking to them about your slide, instead of just relying on your voice, put it on the slide too. And it'll just be so much quicker and they'll appreciate it so much more.
0: That is nice. So when it comes to executing the actual sort of elements of the data of the charts, you know, one key pointer is to keep those simple. Anything else when it comes to showing data in a PowerPoint yet being engaging?
1: Yeah. Well, every single data point is either about something that is happening or something that has an opportunity to happen. And talking about those and showing those as example stories will make it real for people, which is, you know, the kind of the second point of the book is to help people make it real. So instead of talking about, you know, it's this percentage of, you know, let's say millennials, mm-hmm. you know, don't just make it that vague because that's very abstract for people and it's really hard for them to put a handle and really visualize. So if you tell an example story with it, it just needs to say like, let's say Pete instead of millennials and you show a picture of Pete and you show a picture of Pete in a relevant way with the way the data is then people can really understand it much more easily. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't have to be about, let's say, a fake person. If you can make it about a real person, it's even better.
0: I hear you. Okay, thank you. So, understood. So, rather than, hey, 72% of millennials think this, we could just say, all right, this is representative and typical of a millennial, and here's this millennial, their experience, and how they're thinking and reacting to it. Yeah, like
1: I'll give you a great example of that. Like, And one of the stories we tell in the book is about Save the Children. And Save the Children had this experiment that they wanted to do at college campuses because they wanted to figure out how can we maximize donations. So they thought college campuses are full of the most thrifty people on the planet. You know, so mm-hmm. they said, okay, let's give them just a survey. It doesn't really matter what it's about. And then we'll offer them $5 to do the survey. And then we'll give them a piece of paper about our organization that asked them if they want to give some of that $5 back. And for half the groups, they gave them a stat that said like 62 million girls need your help. And it was a stat. So it was very hard for people to grasp. And it was big. And then the other ones, they had one story about one little girl And it was a very short story. And she pulled more than twice as many dollars back as the stat. Okay. And it's all because she's relatable. You can see her. She's a person. She's not a 62 million. It's putting things in human terms with an example story really, really helps.
0: Okay. That's so good. Thank you. And So tell me, what are some of the other, would you say, most sort of compelling and impactful takeaways in your book, Get to the Heart? Well, definitely making it powerful and creating a dramatic arc
1: with your presentation that can do, you know, kind of like what Paul Zak, the guest that you had on your last podcast, really brought to my mind. And I am a huge Paul Zak fan. It was one of the most fun couple hours of my life when I went down to Claremont and I interviewed him and learned all about oxytocin and cortisol. And that dramatic arc is what makes those two things mix in your head and it creates this amazing cocktail that first gets people to really focus and then second opens them up to your ideas and makes them want to do more and be more and inspires them. And all of those things can happen if you create this dramatic arc with your presentation.
0: So when you say dramatic arc, could you give us maybe... I don't know if there's three points along the arc or sort of what are the key stages of the arc and maybe an example to make it come to life?
1: One arc that I've found really works well in corporations is to really start with that urgency piece that I talked about before. It's like, you know, give them a sense of we have to do this. This is so important. The time is now, you know, the window is closing. Anything like that that can create a real sense of urgency for what you're talking about and why they should listen to you then you build that up toward the high point of the arc which is all about desire and about inspiration and why your idea you know has such a huge payoff and that's where you really bring to life the reward that they're going to get from that and not just in like monetary terms but in really emotional terms that will really matter to them like you know it's one thing to get like 12% of a $4 billion market mm-hmm. it's another thing to beat your competitors to the punch. Yeah. That's what people really glom onto is, you know, you want to have those kind of bragging rights. You want to have that feel good. You want to solve a problem. You want to help people or you want to be the best. You know, those kinds of emotional things are so much more engaging than just dollar cents. So you start from urgency, you build up that arc up to desire. And then I like to end the arc on confidence and evoking confidence in your ability to carry it out. So that could be either by really outlining your next steps or your strategy or your action items that basically tell them all those things that they said they could bring to us. I trust these guys. They are going to do it. They're going to get it done. Or they've got a plan to manage it. So it creates this arc of we have to do this, we want to do this, and we know we can do it.
0: Oh, that's so fun. So could you maybe walk us through an example of that coming to life in a business type presentation scenario?
1: Um, let me think about that one because there are so many that come to mind. There are so many confidential presentations that Understood. everyone that's coming to mind now, I'm like, mm, can't talk about that. Okay, there was one that I did for one of the big auto companies, and it was all about the future. And one thing that they realized as they were doing all this research with consumers about the future and about people, you know, moving to cities is that the kinds of cars that people would drive would really consolidate, and cars had to do a lot more for people than they do today. You know, like we can have many, many different types of cars now because they only need to do a couple things. But they knew that the cars would have to do more, and they knew that this was an edge. So we, you know, the first the urgency was positioning it. This is where it's going. This is what's going to happen. Nobody else knows about this yet. All right. So now it's like, holy shit, we might actually have ourselves an edge here. And then we built it toward, you know, what the strategy and the design principles. So it really built up this case of not only do we have an edge on the timing here, but we know how to do this thing, you know, so well. This car is so unbelievably. Hot, and then it climaxed did the unveiling of what the actual car design was, and kind of had this movie that the car designers put together of people enjoying it, and all the different uses, and it made everybody in the audience just salivate for that car.
0: That's so fun. And
1: then the last point on confidence was that they unveiled that a lot of the investment in the car was already taken care of because it could be built on a couple different platforms that there were already going. So it not only made it something that was amazing, but it was something that was actually practical and a lot cheaper than they would have imagined.
0: All right. Now, that's a fun story. And I'm imagining, so if this is going to a sort of board of directors of a car company, Mm -hmm. or is that the audience there? Exactly. Okay. And so this board of directors is probably engaged. They're feeling it emotionally. So now they also want probably some numbers, some data that reinforce that that's sort of big time and sensible and logical, rational, or does that kind of a subcomponent of the desire? It's like, it's so cool. Oh, and there's a ton of money in it. Or where does that fall into the milieu? Well, you hit on a really good point, which is that
1: the data here is probably to establish credibility that we know what the hell we're talking about. Mm -hmm. And in this case, because we're talking about the future, you know, there's some stats you can bring up, but what we decided to do was actually bring in some experts. And we had an urban planning expert we had a car industry expert and we had a couple of academics and we had a futurist and all of those people talking about the future and talking about where things were going really put a lot of credibility into the piece since we couldn't get actual data for what the future holds right that would give us the next best thing and it was i think it probably did a lot for the credibility of the whole project oh thank you that's great yeah, and a lot of times, like, you know, that's when people ask for data and things like that. And that they're really asking for more credibility because they're afraid that they're going to, you know, get called on the carpet and they really need some reassurance. So again, it's always emotional. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that I found is that if you can get someone high up in the organization to vouch for something, that trumps a billion charts. <laughs> it really is all about fighting fear. And it's like if somebody can alleviate your fear from the top, you don't need nearly as much data anymore.
0: Oh, that's something I'm going to chew on. I like that. Because I'm super data loving, but I think you're hit on something here, which is that the data is a means to an end of providing reassurance, of providing credibility. And that's not the only game in town to provide reassurance and credibility.
1: Yeah, I mean, you definitely need data to make sure that you're doing it correctly. And data serves an amazing purpose. But yeah, in terms of just that, you can get credibility in other places.
0: Okay. Well, now I'm also curious to hear you recommend integrating music into a presentation. How does that work exactly? Absolutely.
1: I think music is one of the most powerful tools in the world for getting people right into that emotional space that you want. You know, right into that time period, that feeling, and you know, it's definitely something that. Take some skill to use, like I use music in about five or six different points in my presentations and workshops, and I've had a lot of practice at it, so I know how to you know, work the iPad and the computer at the same time, mm-hmm. but I wouldn't advise that for most people because not only is it more difficult, but also you don't want to be looked at as like a DJ when you're trying to no. give a presentation. You know, it's, You don't want to be gimmicky, but there are two ways to do it really easily. Number one is if you do have video in your presentation, having music in those videos will really help communicate the emotion for that video. It'll help move the whole presentation along and make it feel a lot shorter than it is. And it also means that you only have to hit one play button and it feels appropriate. So that is the first place that I would put music in. or That's one place. And then one of the things that nobody does in corporations that I think is Amazingly successful, and every time I've seen it, is you play music when people walk into the conference room. Yeah. And it can't be any kind of music. It has to be positive, it has to be universally loved. So things like Pharrell and Michael Jackson and, you know, things that, and cool in the gang, the things that just make people relax and feel good will automatically put people in a place that will open up their minds to what you have to say. It'll shed all the awful meetings that they've had that day off of their backs. And it'll also tell them very quickly that this is going to be unlike any presentation they've had that day.
0: Well, that's so fun. Well, you know, I've done that many a time. That's sort of standard issue if I'm keynoting somewhere or have a workshop coming up. You know, while folks are just trickling in, I mean, why not? It's like a simple lever that, puts people in a receptive mood. Go for it. Absolutely, yeah. Well, so I'm curious, you know, some of these moves when it comes to, you know, integrating video or having more of a dramatic arc or integrating music, I think some of these really brush up some of the corporate norms and I guess that's kind of the point, do it differently, do it better. At the same time, it's quite possible if you're a professional in the, sort of the middle of the rungs of an organization, there could be a little bit of I don't know, fear, trepidation, anxiety associated with being too far you know, out there. So how do you navigate those waters? You know, I get that question every single time I do a workshop and it is
1: hard to be the first. And it definitely takes a courageous person, but I swear to God, if you do it smart and you don't let it overtake your message and you do it in a way that will be universally loved, then people will go for it. People will really relish it and it will leapfrog you past all the other people that are afraid to do it. Okay. You know, it's like, this is about being awesome at your job.
0: Uh You know, you can't be awesome if you're on the sidelines. Understood. All right, well, and Ted, we trust. We'll make a run at it, make a go for it, see how that unfolds. And so tell me, Ted, is there anything else you really want to make sure we cover off before we shift gears and hear about some of your favorite things? I think you've done a great job, Pete. You've asked so many great questions. You know, Again,
1: the flattery. (laughs) I guess the only other point I would make is, you know, actually, I might just save this one for my resonant nugget.
0: Okay, all right, strategic, let's do it. Phil, start us off, tell us, what's a favorite quote, something you find inspiring?
1: Well, you know, one of the things that when I was researching the book, I talked to a bunch of my favorite clients and one of my favorite clients is Dave DeSalle from Netflix. He is a fabulous storyteller, he's a fabulous presenter and he said, if you never turn away from your audience, they'll never turn away from you. And I think he hit that really well because he and I both feel the same way that you should stand up, get in front of the screen and look people in the eye and memorize your presentation, know it, own it. And look, if you look at them and you never take your eyes off them, they won't take your eyes off you. You'll have that engagement you're looking for. So thanks Dave for that quote.
0: Oh, thank you. And how about a favorite study or experiment or a piece of research?
1: Like, you know, I mentioned it before, I am a big fan of Paul Zak, and that research that he did on oxytocin and cortisol just blew my mind. And I'd never even thought about neuroscience before that, but it is huge. And it actually brings me back to the book, which is I'm reading the Trust Factor right now, mm-hmm. which is this new one. And it's a fabulous read, and when I'm all done with it, then I will tell you all more about it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, could you share with us again, or in addition, uh, favorite book? So that's the one I'm reading right now. You know, I've always
1: loved Catcher in the Rye. That has always been one of my favorite books too. You know, it's that kind of hero really speaks to me and I'm kind of a, you know, curmudgeon. And, you know, reading that adventure was always so much fun. And I read it about, I'd say every 10, 15 years. I'm probably due for another read soon. And it's always been one of my favorite books.
0: Well, thank you. And how about a favorite tool, whether that's a product or service or app, something that helps you be more awesome at your job? I'm going to go low tech here.
1: Okay. I think actually people should use their eyes and ears much more now. And we've kind of gotten away from that. But I swear to God, like if you want to be engaging with somebody, listen to them and really actively listen, you know, kind of like the shrinks in the, uh, you know, marriage counseling tell you to do with your girlfriend or your wife when you're sitting on that couch. Actively listen. Not only will they love you or they like you much more, not only will you get so much more out of them, but it's actually much more fulfilling to be in that conversation when you really are
0: actively listening. So use those ears. Okay. And how about a favorite habit, a personal practice of yours that helps you flourish? One of the biggest
1: improvements I made, and I just kind of talked about it, is when I was presenting, I got up from behind the projector, like most people do, and I stood up in front of the screen and I memorized my presentation. And that took me to a whole other level because people found me so much more credible and authoritative because I was willing to stand up for what I was saying. And I was also able to use my body language because now, you know, they could see me. And so much of the language that we or the communication we have comes from our bodies. And it was just much more fulfilling. I felt it forced me to memorize my presentations and really own it. And it felt so good to do it. You know, I know like when you'd give a keynote, I assume you probably do it the same way. And don't you feel kind of like a God when you're up there? <laughs> oh, yes. But particularly if the lighting is good.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so, yes. Well, so you're saying that would apply in conference rooms as well. There's 12 seats in the conference room. It's your part of the presentation. You'd say standing's the way to go.
1: Absolutely. Get up from behind that projector, stand up, All right,
0: and that will take you to a whole other level. Thank you. And so you were saving a favorite resonant nugget. Uh, what is it? It is that all these things that are actually a
1: lot easier than you might think. You know, like Applying movie style storytelling to presentations seems like a lot to chew on, but it's actually so much easier than you think. Listening to people and really actively listening feels like it's difficult, and it is at first, but it's so much easier once you get into it. So that's my, I think, big takeaway
0: from everything I've learned is just give it a go. Okay. And do you have parting um, information in terms of how folks should reach out or get in touch if they want to learn more?
1: Yeah, everything is on the website, com. We've got those video blogs that you talked about. There's an area where you can ask me questions. There's all kinds of other areas. There's links to the video and audio stuff from the book. And then there's also links to how you can get the book.
0: Okay, thank you. And do you have a final call to action for those seeking to be more awesome at their jobs?
1: Yes. I would say to you, first, make everything easy for the people you're presenting to. Then make it compelling. All right. Yeah, don't be boring. Don't be like everybody else.
0: Got it. Well, Ted, thank you so much. This has been a real treat and I'm really looking forward to your subsequent video blog posts. They're so excellent. And I wish you luck with the book and backstories and all that you're up to.
1: Well, thanks, Pete. I am so happy to be on your show and I can't wait to listen to all the
0: future shows. I really like how important it is to just be simple, simple, focused. What are we really trying to say here? Instead of just leaping into the, well, this is the template. This is the presentation we did last time. I'll just update the data, the slides, and bada bing, bada boom, we're done. But rather, no, what are the key things we're trying to convey? Simple, 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 and real, and just those one or two or three key things. It can make a world of difference in bringing clarity, doing your own thinking as well as your presenting, and folks will remember it and capture it, and you'll look like a genius. So that's cool. Once more, if you want to check out pieces that we referenced here, you'll find that over at com slash ep136. And I encourage you to push the subscribe button so you'll hear from folks like our next guest, Dr. Tom Hansen. He's got some cool experience working for the Yankees and other major league organizations when it comes to dealing with performance anxiety issues, the YIPS, as they call them in the biz, as well as perspective on boosting accountability promise-making, promise-keeping and how to do that all the better and the results that flow from there. So hope to catch you then and peace. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. To get the most out of this conversation, visit awesomeatyourjob.com to find today's show notes, transcript and infographic summary cheat sheet. For more entertaining professional skill sharpening, be sure to subscribe to catch the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job.